title of today's message is Christian Interrupt. Key scripture is going to be in John chapter 10. We're going to start in verse number 9. Christ speaking, I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10 says, the thief comes not except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So there's been something um, welling up in my spirit for a little while now concerning Edgewater Church. I told our leadership team this morning, uh, I don't know, obviously, a lot of what's going on at a lot of other churches because this is the only church that I go to. So I, can, I only know uh, a little bit about what's going on inside Edgewater Church. Uh, but there are different seasons, if you will, different times in our lives uh, where as much as God is real, as much as we serve God and as powerful as God is, the Bible does not mince words. We also have an enemy that we deal with. We also have this fallen angel called Satan. At least that's what we call him by popular decree, not his real name. Uh, we can get into that some other time. Lucifer is also not his real name. That's a Latin word that was translated from a Hebrew word that doesn't exist in the scripture where it's found. So he has a real name, and uh, it's neither one of those things. If you want to know what it is for some odd reason, I'll tell you sometime, but it's not, about, uh, it's not what the message is about today. Point is, he does exist. He is real, and we fight him, and we fight him often. Many times we fight him, we don't understand that we are fighting him. Uh, but when it comes to a congregation, when you have chosen to walk into a church, when you have chosen to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have chosen to link up in fellowship with a specific body of believers, which we all have, for you right now it's here. If you're a visitor, maybe it's not actually here. Maybe you have a home church and it's there. Uh, when a spirit, when the enemy sends an attack or he sends a spirit at the church, he does not just send it to one person but you'll see it manifests in many different people's lives in many different ways. And it is something that the entire church deals with from time to time. Sometimes it's bigger than that. Sometimes it's all the churches and all the Christians in a certain given area that are dealing with the same thing. And a lot of times we don't even know it because we don't communicate well or we're not walking in, in proper unity, as it were. So you might be dealing with the same thing the person next to you is dealing with, but because of fear of judgment or because of lack of time and energy, we just never all come to the conclusion that we're dealing with the same thing. Sometimes it's a national and international thing. Obviously, as a body of Christ, there are hot button issues, if you will, that we deal with on a national, international scale all the time. And so, therefore, it is a, an attack, if you want to look at it in that way, um, that we all have in common. We all have to dealing, deal with in, uh, in our own way, but it's a common enemy. Here Jesus says, in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes not but to kill, steal, and destroy. And what I've seen, at least what's going on in our body of believers, uh, I cannot speak discreetly about any other church in the area, but I would imagine, and of course, when I say it, it's going to be something that you're going to realize probably people deal with a lot. But what I'm trying to tell you is, if you want to have some insight uh, this morning, if you're part of Edgewater Church, of course, even if you're not, but especially if you are, um, I want you to understand that one thing that we've seen pop up over and over and over again lately is a spirit of distraction, disruption, and interruption. So I don't know, uh, again, all the details of your individual life. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what distractions you're dealing with. It is certainly not a strong prophetic utterance. Uh, any pastor or any prophet at any time can stand up and say, people are dealing with distractions, and of course, 
most people are going to say, yeah, we, you know, I understand that. I'm not trying to be prophetic and wow anybody. I'm just trying to, to tell you, although it is a common enemy, right now it is something that is going on in a major way. And what God is showing me is that distractions will always be there. We always deal with distractions, but there are some people for whom distractions are disruptive, and there are other of us who distractions are actually interruptions, and they are two different things, disruptions and interruptions. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. I am not typically, as you probably understand if you've gone here for a while, I'm not a real topical preacher. I like to dig into the Word of God. I like to break down Hebrew. I like to break down Greek. I like to get scientific with it from time to time. I would get much more mathematical with it if you guys would let me. Uh, But more often than not, I just see disgust on people's faces (laughs) anytime that I mention math, even though without math, you wouldn't understand anything. I just wanted to throw that out there. See, so far in this service, I've said a certain number of words. Just, just want to let you know. And that's how every service goes. Without that number of words, you would have gotten nothing out of it. Okay. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, I, wanna, I want to get into detail about what Christ is saying here in John chapter 10, verse number 10. We think of Satan, or we think of the enemy, and we think of a scripture like this, and it naturally... We think of what it means to steal something, to kill something, or to destroy something. If you're thinking about what thievery is, you're thinking about a physical object being stolen. If you're thinking about uh, murder or killing, you're thinking about somebody actually dying. If you're thinking about destruction, there's many different ways to destroy things. But you have to remember, the scripture tells us in the New Testament that we are not fighting a war of flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal, but are spiritual, right? And they are strong, and they are able to pull down strongholds and things of that nature. The point I want to get at this morning is that when Jesus says the enemy is coming to steal, it does not mean that he wants to steal from your bank account. When it says that he's coming to kill, it does not mean that he's interested in finding a way to physically kill you. Maybe that's possible from time to time. We don't even need to get into that this morning. When it says that he's coming to destroy, it doesn't mean that he wants to destroy your physical possessions. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The battle that we fight is not against flesh and blood. But it's against principalities and powers, the Bible says. In other words, it's against spiritual things. So I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say this morning. It's very simple, but it's where we're at right now. I really believe that. So today's message is not a generic message about uh, the deeper things of Christ. I know that that sounds like they don't go together, but that can be generic from time to time. But today's message is specifically right now for our church and for your life. And what God has put in my heart to share with you this morning is simply that when the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, what he wants to steal and what he wants to kill and what he wants to destroy are all the same thing, not three different things, And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your purpose. Right? He can do so much more damage if he can mess with your purpose than if he can mess with your person. Let me me give you an example. There's a man, I wish I remembered his name. It was a long time ago. I must have been, uh, man, I don't know. I was uh, maybe 12, 13, 14. And I went to a a Baptist church with a friend of mine in Santa Fe, Texas. And they were having a special guest speaker 
and uh, didn't know much about him, but somebody said he had cerebral palsy, I think is what it was. I didn't really know really what that was at the time, but when I walked in the sanctuary and sat down and they did the praise and worship music, and then the pastor came up and introduced the guy, and he came walking up on stage, and of course he was having a real hard time walking, um, had a very precarious limp and, and way about him with his movements and mannerisms, and you could see right away the, the guy was dealing with something that was seriously physically hard to deal with. When he got up on the microphone, it was very hard for him to speak. He had a very distinct lisp, and you could tell it was a struggle. Every word that he tried to get out was a struggle. And it it must have been five or ten minutes into his sermon. And for me and, and the friend that I was with, and I think everybody that I knew at that church, we all kind of silently agreed this is the most powerful thing we've ever seen in church, ever heard. Because this guy's heart and this guy's passion for God completely was able to override any physical shortcomings that he had as a human being. I tell you that story to give you an example. Yes, he was riddled with disease. Physically, he was having a very hard time. And I'm sure multiple people pointed to, and I wouldn't point away from him, I'm just saying within the church, that it was the devil that did that. And maybe it was. You read in the, even the New Testament scriptures. Christ went around to people that were lunatic and mad and, and, and all kinds of things wrong with them, all kinds of ailments, uh, whether it was from something common to, to something not so common. And he would pray for them and he would cast out devils. That's what he did. And that's how they got better. So by all means, I'm cool. I'm down with that. That might have been what happened. But even though the devil could steal his health, so to speak, He had not made a single advance in the area of ripping this man's purpose away. This man's purpose was rock solid. He obviously was not shaken. I know that he must have had times where it was hard to deal with, but he decided not to give up. He decided not to let the enemy win. He he stood stalwart in his purpose. And although it was hard to understand, and some of the teenagers laughed when he limped on stage and did all the things that he did because of his cerebral palsy or cerebral palsy, even though he had to deal with all that, none of it mattered. Five minutes into him speaking the word of God and everybody wanted to know Jesus more. Because it's your purpose that is so much more important than anything else the enemy can steal from you. Anything else he can destroy in your life. If he can get you to buy into church, if he can allow you to stay inside your congregation and little by little rip your purpose away from you, pretty soon what he has made out of you is what Jesus Christ warned about in the book of Revelation, that you are neither hot nor cold, but a lukewarm Christian. Somebody who, I'm not not sending anybody to heaven or hell, all right, we're moving beyond salvation right now, and I'm talking about after you get saved, coming to church, And it happens, and I would venture to say it probably happens in Americanized church and European churches more than anywhere else in the world. Because we can get so caught up in the idea that we figured out how to do this thing. We understand what Christianity is. We learn after a little while the lingo. We learn after a little while how to dress. We learn after a little while how to act. Some of us have have it down to a T, when to raise our hands, when not to raise our hands. 
all the different words that we use in prayer, things that are right to say, things that are not right to say. We know when we should be moving over here, when we should be still, when we should be sitting, when we should be standing. And we have it down to a T. We know how to shake somebody's hand and give them a good smile. We know how to shake their hand and, and ask them how they're doing. We know to call them brother. We know to call them sister. And we have this Christian thing down. And maybe you thought or maybe somehow you were convinced. Maybe it's lack of teaching or direction in the church that your whole purpose was just to get saved. And if you could just get saved and remain in the same church for the rest of your life, that you have served God well. But I want, to, I want to tell you a different story this morning. There is more to you than just a member of a congregation who is walking in the ways of salvation. God did not create you. God did not die for you. God did not save you so that you could have the fifth row on the fourth, the fourth seat and the church down the street and everybody could know that you've been there for a certain amount of time and that that is so-and-so the Christian. He's got more for you than that. This was uh, confirmed to me in, in so many different ways. It's, it's so funny. We were sitting at Barnes & Noble um, at our men's fellowship on Thursday night. We were sitting at the Starbucks, outside the Starbucks at Barnes & Noble. And Brother Rocky was, was bringing the word for us, an amazing word, by the way. Um, I was so excited to see Superman at midnight. Uh, and it was really good, unless you're Ted. Ted didn't like it. But it was really, really good. Or Omar, who slept through it twice now. Uh, but I thought it was amazing. But I went home after the movie, and I thought, man, as much as I've been talking about that movie, anticipating that movie, I had my Superman T-shirt, had the whole deal going on. I'm Superman freak, love Superman. I couldn't wait to see it. And literally, I went home. I was thinking about the movie, and then I started thinking about Rocky, and I started thinking about the word that he brought. And honest to God, the word that he brought was ten times better than the movie. Which it should, I mean, you're, um, oh, wow, uh, a message was better than a movie. It should be. I'm just saying, we were so excited about that, and we were excited about maybe going to, uh, we were going to bowl at main event, we ended up going to eat instead, it's what we do. And, uh, but then we did go to main event and punch that thing a couple of times, which was fun. Um, it's a punching game, you know what I'm talking about? We didn't hit people. It's a thing. Anyway, um, but the best part of that whole night, man, was that message. But while Rocky was talking, uh, some guy came outside and got on his phone and was watching videos or something. And just like the rudest people in the world at Starbucks, they do this all the time because I don't have an office, so Starbucks is my office. So all the Starbucks around the area I frequent, and that's where I sit down and study. And I have my headphones because I'm courteous, and I understand there's going to be other people there. Some people don't care. If you're that person, yes, I'm talking to you. And I'm not going to apologize, and I'm not going to balance my statement. You are very annoying, and you need to stop it. So don't go to Starbucks and get on your laptop or your phone and start watching videos without earphones in, please. So the guy came out there, and of course, he's outside, so it's a little bit better. And he gets at his table, and he's watching it, and he's, it's up really loud. And Rocky's in the middle of his deal, and we're all getting a little distracted by it, or at least I was. And I uh, didn't miss anything that he had to say because it wasn't that distracting. Uh, but then a group of guys came over, and this was nothing bad. They didn't do anything wrong. They were doing, I mean, there's a table outside and chairs are for people to sit at. But on the concrete, those chairs are so loud. And so this group of guys came over, and it's one thing to pull your chair out, sit down, and scoot your chair in. But they were having like, they were, they were like, this was like their, their thing. 
was like their Thursday night deal. Like they go to Starbucks and move chairs around for 20 minutes. I don't know what they were doing. It was the craziest thing in the world. We were all like, okay, cool. They're getting their chairs out. And, you know, two minutes later, we're like, they're still apparently getting their chairs set up. That's cool. There's only like five of them. And then like five minutes later, we were like, what are you doing? But, you know, we couldn't say anything. It was weird. It was really weird. So it was distracting. And it, it immediately popped up in my spirit. That it kind of reminded me that I've been thinking about this for a while. And it reminded me of a men's group that we had months ago where we went to the uh, shooting range. Yes, we did. We are in Texas. And um, we went right afterwards to a, uh, a Starbucks to have our Bible study. And it was just distraction after distraction. Somebody inside of Starbucks either didn't like us or didn't like Jesus very much. One of the two and decided to turn the outside speakers way up. Uh, it was very cool. And uh, we couldn't hear anything that anybody was saying that night as far as the Bible study. Super distracting, not to mention the, the traffic, which was our fault for not thinking about that. But really, it was the music um, that was the big deal. And we used to have our Wednesday night Bible studies at Starbucks when we were really, really small because we could all fit in there. And we, I don't remember a single Wednesday night. We had groups of 5, 10, sometimes 15 people in, the, in a, one of the bigger Starbucks. Never really, never really any distractions. Everything was always really smooth. We got through our teaching and nothing happened. And so it's not like you have to be distracted because you're at Starbucks, but it's happening over and over again. And it kind of, it just kind of clicked. And then one of my kids came up to me while my wife was out of town. The Father's Day gift was I got to spend more time with my kids. There, got it done. See, I tricked myself. And um, it was good. It was really good. But uh, the, yeah, the, and, then, and then the icing on the cake was she came back. Um, anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So uh, one, of my, one of my kids got distracted. One of my kids uh, walked up to me. I don't remember what they were talking about. I can't even remember which kid it was. But both of them are too young to be talking about how something disrupted them. So one of them is five and one of them is three. And I'm really pretty positive it was a three-year-old. And he came up, if it was him, and I think it was, and he said something was disrupting him, either his sister or whatever. And I was just thinking about the word for Sunday, and I was like, okay, the kid doesn't know that word. There's no way the kid knows that word, so I'm just taking that as a sign that, uh, yes, we are dealing with a lot of disruptions and distractions. Let me define for you these words real quick. A distraction, which is something that will never go away, is uh, means the cause to turn away from the original focus of attention or interest, to divert, to pull in conflicting emotional directions to unsettle. Once upon a time, if you are a Christian, the message of the gospel spoke to your heart, and you responded, and you decided that you wanted to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, ask Him into your life. And as soon as you did that, you were saved. You were covered by the blood. He gave you his spirit. He set you on a path and you were completely unencumbered, pure, knowing nothing more than the love of Jesus Christ. Even if it was just for a split second before some preacher, pastor, evangelist or somebody started telling you how things have to be. Right before the, somebody taught you their system and their rules, you were just pure Jesus, on fire, ready to get out there and save souls. Attack hell, as they say, with a water pistol and gasoline britches on. You didn't know that gasoline britches part, did you? Maybe you did. 
thought it was unique. Jeez, y'all are a tough crowd. So, um, ready to do damage. Somewhere along the way, we lose our vision. Somewhere along the way, we lose our passion for Christ. Somewhere along the way, we learn how to be Christians and we become distracted from the calling that God put on our lives. He gave us a great commission. And if you don't check yourself at the door, you might think the great commission was to build more buildings. You might think that that Christ said, go forth in the nations and build massive congregations. Go forth and have amazing events. Go forth and write millions of books. Go forth and make my religion popular. That might have been his great commission if you just look at the estate of the church. But that's not what he said. He said, baptize people. He said, teach people. He said, be a witness to people. He said, I'm with you even until the ends of the earth. They might reject you, but they're just rejecting me. He said, get out there and get it done. Take your cross up daily and walk with me. Are you alive this morning? Are you there still? If you, I mean, I will, we can just go eat. If I'm doing that bad, we can just go eat. I just want to make sure. I love you guys. I take it all back. I love you. We lose our way. We get distracted. Something, as distraction means, causes us to turn away from the original focus or attention of interest to divert, to pull in conflicting emotional direction. That distraction can become a disruption. Let me define disruption for you. Disruption means to throw into confusion or disorder. Protesters disrupting a candidate's speech to impede progress, to impede movement, to impede procedure. To break or burst, to rupture. So a distraction is going to become one of two things, a disruption or an interruption. If it becomes a disruption, it's like throwing a wrench in the system. Causes a little bit of disorder. Can impede progress, movement, or procedure. I don't know what distracts each and every individual person. It can be something as mundane as technology. Obviously, it can be a distraction on a day-to-day basis, but that's not really what God had on my, on my heart for us. It was more of, a, more of a real, more of a deep kind of thing, a spiritual thing, that as Christians, as a church, what the enemy is doing to us, he's distracting us with so many different things. Distracting us with false purpose. Distracting us with things that steal our time, distracting with boyfriend, girlfriend, distracting with uh, sometimes even a husband and wife. uh, If we're not dealing with things the right way, distracting us with things going on with our kids. I want you to hear what I'm saying. How can your husband or your wife be a distraction? It's real easy. It can be some something that they're doing. And the way that you react to it, instead of being godly, instead of believing and staying on course, you react to it in a fleshly manner where you want to step out and do your own thing and don't seek God, then you have been distracted. Well, something's going on with my kids. Somebody's bullying my kids. Somebody's uh, taking my kids in the wrong direction. Well, if you decide to jump in your your car with a a double-barrel shotgun, then that distraction has become a real disruption because it has taken you off the course that Jesus has set you upon, and you've decided that prayer is not going to solve the situation. Maybe some birdshot will. And I understand how you feel to a degree because that's like the people that don't use earphones at Starbucks. I don't get that crazy. I'm just saying. I'm not even telling any more jokes. I'm going to read you all a, uh, an excerpt a story that really happened, obviously, many, many years ago when uh, Mel Gibson came out with his movie, The Passion of Christ. Moviegoers at Stadium 16 Theater in Evansville attending a showing of The Passion of the Christ 
got more than they bargained for Saturday night. They were greeted in the lobby of the theater by a man wearing a Red Devil costume. Tyler Wendell, a 19-year-old freshman at the University of Southern Indiana, caused quite a ruckus with his get-up. The audience, many who were part of church groups, were visibly upset by the antics of Wendell. Wendell said, I always like to push the limits. Many were upset that Wendell chose to wear a devil costume to a religious movie. Interruption is defined as breaking the continuity or uniformity, hindering or stopping an action or discourse by breaking in on it. In computer science, it literally means a signal to a computer that stops the execution of a running program so that another action can be performed. A circuit that conveys a signal stopping the execution of a running program. Jesus gave us many commandments, and most of them weren't that difficult, at least to remember. Some of them were a little bit difficult to execute. In the Old Testament, there were 613 commandments, not just 10. There were 10 great, but there were 613 that you had to follow on a daily basis. Jesus whittled all of those down to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Two things, as far as the law goes, that you need to remember and walk in day in and day out. There are a few other things he asked us to do. Love our enemies, pray for those that persecute us, take up our cross daily. He said, it's the love you have for one another that will prove to the world and show them that you are my disciples. He asked us to be workmen that are worthy of pay to rightly divide the word of God. He asked us to do a few things that are simple to remember. None of them are always so easy to do. We have been set on a certain course. And we have been distracted. And we have a choice whether we're going to allow that distraction to disrupt us or interrupt us. A disruption is an impediment to progress. It might, I'm sorry, a disruption is an impediment to progress and it might slow you down. Maybe God has called you to do a certain thing. Maybe you are moving in a certain direction. Maybe you have asked Jesus Christ into your heart and you had two really awesome days with God. Maybe the Holy Spirit was really moving. Maybe you told mom and dad, man, things are changing. I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to have premarital sex anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to do the, maybe you told your children, I'm going to stop treating you like that. I'm going to stop doing that. We're going to start going to church. And for like a week, you were really on fire. And then you got distracted. Maybe your husband wasn't on the same page. Maybe your boyfriend wasn't on the same page. Maybe the kids didn't react the way that you wanted the kids to react. And you got distracted and you had a choice right then. Is this going to disrupt me? Is it going to be an impediment to my progress? Can I step over this? Can I make it through this? Or am I going to allow this to be an interruption? An interruption doesn't just impede you. An interruption sends you on a different course. Many patrons jeered Wendell as he stood in line for concessions. Once inside the movie, put yourself in these people's shoes, right? You're walking into the cinema to go see... The Passion of the Christ. Can you remember back when it came out? Mel Gibson was going through so much turmoil. There are certain parts of the movie they wanted him to remove. He couldn't have the Jews saying some of the things that the Bible recorded that they said. Uh, Hollywood is run by mostly Jewish people. So they were getting very upset that they were looking like in this movie that they were responsible for Christ's crucifixion. He couldn't get anybody to pick his movie up. He had to create his own production company. He had to put it out himself. He had to fork the money over. And it was on again, off again. Then even though there were no scenes like in 
some of the most disgusting movies that make it into the theater and can sometimes receive a PG-13 rating. It had to be rated R, they decided. That was another thing that was a big deal. You saw the previews, and if you were a Christian, you were immediately struck by the reality of it. Imagine for how many people this was going to be their time of rededication. Imagine for how many people they were feeling like, you know, I haven't really given the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I haven't really given it proper thought in a long time. This is going to be, I'm going to have an experience. This is not just going to be a movie. I'm going to go here. I'm going to see this. It's going to remind me. I'm going to get back on track with God. And then there were other Christians who were just excited about it. People that were already felt like they had a great relationship. They wanted to see it in more detail. They couldn't wait for the world to experience it. They're all on high. They're wearing their church t-shirts. They're in big groups. Maybe they came in a bus together. You walk into the theater and there's this 19-year-old kid dressed up like the devil. And immediately you know exactly what he's doing. And he's probably being flamboyant about it. God knows what he was saying or doing. How would you feel? How do you think your Christian friends and family would feel? Is a guy dressed up like the devil inside a movie like The Passion, is that a distraction? I would say so. That's kind of a right-in-your-face distraction. I know if I walked in and saw him, I wouldn't immediately know the right thing to do. I'd be a little, it would be a distraction for sure. It would be a disruption for sure. I want you to hear what I'm saying. These things become a disruption in your spirit. You understand? They become a disruption in your spirit. I would have been stopped for a second. I'd have had a lot of different thoughts. I'd have been sizing them up a little bit. (laughs) What if it came down to it? And then I'm pretty sure right away I would understand that that's not what needs to happen. I'd be angry. I'd be thinking of choice names that I think about this guy. I'd probably be repenting like every couple of seconds from some of the thoughts until I'm and, and trying to get it right. Definitely a disruption because I'm probably on my way into the theater with all these good intentions and good thoughts. And it's going to stop me in my tracks. Like, are you kidding me? And I'm going to start looking at all the other people around me, older people, younger people, especially the kids. They don't need to see that. And you know there are kids because there's kids at every rated R movie. You ever go to the movies? Yeah. Sometimes you're like, this is unbelievable. I've literally left movies before because kids shouldn't be in this movie. You know, like it's not the most terrible movie, a little violent, but why are kids here? Crazy. So, uh, whatever. It'd be hard to decide what to do. Let me finish the story as it was written in the article. Once inside the movie, many patrons jeered Wendell as he stood in line for concessions. Once inside the movie, Christians began pelting Wendell with gummy bears, jujubes, and popcorn. Management got involved after a 75-year-old woman named Hazel Meyer poured a 64-ounce Coca-Cola on Wendell's head. Now, I hope you're laughing for the same reason I'm laughing. I'm laughing because it's hard to read. Gummy bears and jujubes and a Coke on his head. I'm not laughing because it's actually funny. It's actually not funny at all. It's actually very sad. That's the difference between a disruption and an interruption. 
Hey, a disruption we would have all felt. Disruptions are going to happen in your spirit from time to time from distractions the enemy throws your way. An interruption will send you on a completely different course. And I want to ask you this morning, I want to challenge you. Where are you at with Jesus Christ? Where are you at in your Christian walk? If you walked into the theater hearing this story right now, and if you thought for a second in your heart when they started pelting that man with jujubes and gummy bears, that maybe that was an okay thing to do, that pouring a Coke on his head was maybe a proper reaction. If you want to equate that to Jesus uh, building a whip and whipping people out of the temple, I want to tell you right now, you're dead wrong. And I don't mean that with a lack of love. God bless you, and I'm sure you're a Christian, and I'm sure you're going to heaven. But that is not what God called you to do. That is not loving your enemy. That is not praying for those that despitefully use you. That is not understanding that that young man is a child, is somebody that God created, and God has not called you to go out into the midst of his creation and pelt them and pour cokes on their head no matter what they're doing. That's an interruption to your spirit. You have allowed a distraction to turn you in a completely different way. And that is not okay. And that is not going to get you very far. What might have been proper in that situation was if one Christian had the guts to stand up in front of that guy and tell everybody else in the theater, this guy has it in his heart to run around this world dressed up like the devil. Would you rather him sit down and experience Die Hard 3 or the Passion of the Christ? I'm kind of glad that he's in here because I think he really needs to see this. But unfortunately now, when he sees Jesus Christ hanging on that cross, he's going to think about being pelted by jujubes and Coca-Cola being poured on his head. And he's going to laugh and walk out of the theater about the fakeness and the hypocrisy that he just experienced. Because we allowed a distraction to become an interruption instead of a disruption. First Timothy chapter six, verse 10. says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money can be a major, major distraction, major distraction. I'm not going to sit here and name names because God hasn't revealed to me anybody on the Christian scene that for sure has allowed money to become more than a distraction and has allowed it to become an interruption. But I want to take your thought process in a different way. If your thought process was even going that direction about big name preachers and evangelists and people that make a ton of money. I don't know where they get their money. I don't know how they do what they do. I was very surprised and encouraged to learn that some really big name guys like Joel Osteen and uh, the Saddleback guy. What's his name? Um, Not a big fan of his, but I'm a fan of what he did. Uh, Rick Warren. They both um, have obviously sold ridiculous amounts of books and made ridiculous amount of money. Both of these guys added up their salaries from what, I to- what I'm told from the time they were hired on at their churches until the time they could sustain themselves just by their book deals. And they, they took all the money they'd ever made from the church and wrote a check and gave it back. Uh, I'm not going to blame the guys for having popular books. What are they supposed to do with their money? Send all their book money over to Africa? I'm sure they take portions of it and give and do what they can do. Uh, another guy that was on CNN or ABC or somewhere, and he was catching a lot of flack because he drove at Rolls Royce, and he was a big-name preacher. That is a tough situation. I don't know what I would do, but what he said was, finally, he hadn't told anybody for years what the deal was. He was just taking the flack, and he said, look, somebody in my congregation 
has more money than they know what to do with. They really love me, my family. They gave me a Rolls Royce. What am I supposed to do? What are you going to do with if somebody in my congregation gave me a Rolls Royce? The most insulting thing I could do is turn around and sell it. That's a huge, amazing gift. So you have two choices. Keep it in your garage and don't let anybody ever know that you got it. (laughs) Or B. So I'm not here to to point fingers and call out names of those kind of guys. I want to talk about you and your life. I want to talk about what money has done to you and your life. Have you allowed it to become a distraction? Yes, you have. I have. Everybody has. Money is a distraction. But is it a disruption that you have overcome or is it an interruption that has turned you in a different direction? Because the love of money is the root of all evil. It will distract you day in and day out. But I want to help young couples and old couples alike this morning. If you're having problems with money, you need to sit down with your husband, sit down with your wife and ask them, are we, uh, we might not be on the same page. We're definitely distracted from our calling because we're supposed to be serving one another as husband and wife. Are we going to allow this situation to disrupt us? Are we going to allow it to interrupt us? Because if it becomes an interruption, we might both end up going different ways. If it can be a simple disruption, it'll slow us down, but we can overcome it. The crazy thing about disruptions and interruptions is that even though interruptions are more game-changing, bigger deals, they always seem like lesser deals. A disruption is always obvious and is almost always negative. An interruption is not always so obvious and is more often than not masquerading as something decent or positive. Give you a quick example that, that should help you. If you have ever been to a pep rally, I'm sure you have. When you were a teenager in high school or what have you, you know how easily, easily a student can become a disruption at a pep rally. I was that student. <laughs> it was a disruption many times. Not proud of it. Not really not proud of it either. Just happens. Kids are kids. So uh, uh, but I remember many times, of course, sometimes you're really trying to pay attention and somebody else is a disruption. It's super annoying, but it's a disruption. The pep rally goes on. It's obviously negative. Some kid throwing spitballs or paper airplanes or yelling out words or whatever's going on. Okay, obviously negative. Everybody knows it's negative. Even if they're laughing, it's a disruption. It's just costing us more time. Pep rally will go on. An interruption is something that's caused by like a principle. Okay, a student cannot be really an interruption. They can be a disruption, but a principal can come into the same pep rally, step in front of the microphone, and tell everybody there's been a fire in the cafeteria and we need to exit the building. Okay, now we're changing course. Now pep rally's over. Okay, that's an interruption. But it looks like something good. Like it's the principal. He's a good guy. There's a fire. He's trying to save us. That's good. That's an interruption. We need to change course. Now, in real life, that's true. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking about spiritual life. Spiritual life. You understand? Step one, and we're coming to a conclusion. You need to understand who you are in Christ. Can I encourage you this morning real quickly? Let me encourage you. God has a calling on your life, period. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what pastor has taught you otherwise. You are not called just to be a member of the congregation. You might not be called to be a pastor either, but there are many different callings. And God has a calling for you. God did create you with a purpose in mind. You are the answer to somebody's problem. And you are the only answer to somebody's problem. 
there's somebody in your life that I cannot reach and only you can. There are things for you to do. God has called you to do more with your experience with him. A, you need to understand that. B, you need to pray and ask for clarity about that. And once you are solid on what God has called you to do, then you need to recognize every time something throws you off course, it's an interruption. More than a disruption, an interruption. When you recognize that, you need to turn back. 1 Timothy 6.20 Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Another distraction in the body of Christ. Vain babblings of science and philosophy. Science is not bad. Philosophy is not bad. But when somebody has begun to convince you through science or philosophy that the word of God is in error, that's a major disruption. Is it going to become an interruption? Are you going to start believing science more than believing the Bible? And if you have a problem meshing the two and understanding how we don't have to be scientifically ignorant in order to understand the word of God, you need to call us because we try to major in that. But we don't do it on Sundays because people get angry. I don't want to hear about science. Voice cracked a little bit there. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Actually, let's go to 2 Timothy. We just read, uh, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase. No, we didn't read that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 says, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as if a canker, whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, they overthrow the faith of some. This is a, an example in the word of God of another big distraction in church that can become a disruption or an interruption, which is people that are getting so dogmatic about their theology. In this particular case, the theology is about the end of the world, and there were two guys going around preaching that the resurrection had already happened, and Paul was saying the resurrection hasn't happened, and they were saying if you don't understand that the resurrection has already happened, you don't understand God, you don't understand your Bible, and Paul says, well, then you have erred in the faith because that's not true, but their error was not that they just had something out of order. Their error was that they were convincing people that if they didn't believe them, they didn't know God. That's a major distraction. That can become a major disruption, and that can become a major interruption. Our goal at Edgewater Church within the realm of balance is to set you free from those kind of things. Freedom in Christ, freedom to think, freedom to believe, freedom to follow God. I am not here to tell you that if your belief system doesn't line up perfectly with the belief system of Edgewater Church, that you don't know God. All I want you to do is get in your Bible, get on your knees, read the word of God and pray. And if you have anybody in your life that is telling you other words, that there's something you're missing, and if you don't understand it, you are not saved and you don't know God, that is a major distraction. There is only one way, and it's not Baptist, and it's not Methodist, and it's not Presbyterian, and it's not Hebrew, and it's not cultish, and it's not anything else. It's Jesus Christ. He is the only way to the Father. And He doesn't expect you to know every single thing about Him in the Bible as soon as you come to Him. Okay, you have time to get some of these things wrong. You have time to get some of these things right, as long as you're sincere following Christ. I want to end with two things. Something that God put in my heart 
that I send to some of you guys says, if you feel the desire to prove something with your bold stance for Jesus Christ, all you will succeed in proving is that very little of Jesus is present in your Christianity. As you scream loudly about the need for salvation, your joyless tone offers a stark juxtaposition to Satan's soothing whispers about the freedom of worldly ambitions. It is this loveless tone that undermines the message of love and makes the promise of lustful indulgence so much more attractive. In a nutshell, what I'm trying to say right there is that one of the biggest distractions that I see right now in the body of Christ, good Lord, it is hot. Are y'all sweating as much as... Hold on, there's some AC like right here. I'm going to stand right here. Look at this. Ridiculous. Careful in the first two rows. <laughs> oh, dear God, help us this morning. What I'm trying to... Yeah. What I'm trying to say is... Um, and I really want you to hear this. One of the biggest distractions, one of the biggest disruptions, one of the biggest interruptions, our worship team can go ahead and come up, that I see in the body of Christ right now, lines the bookshelves of Barnes & Noble. Lines the bookshelves, if you will, of your Kindle Fire, your iPad 5 or whatever they have out. I'm still upset about that. This is an iPad 1. Whatever, however it is that you read, thank you. However it is that you get your information, however it is that you get your books. I love, I love going in Barnes & Noble. Um, frequently I do that. I go to that Starbucks to study and to take a break. I just like walking around and looking at some of the new books and things they have out. But it's, sometimes it gets so crazy walking up and down the Christian section. Because I see all of these pastors and I see all these Christian authors and I see all their new books. And they have them coming out like all the time. And I don't know if they're called to write books or not called to write books. But if you just take a step back and look at all the titles and look at all the people, you can almost visibly see them fighting each other. Right there at Barnes & Noble. It's like a fist fight of books. They're totally talking about different things. This guy says he knows what's right and it's only this way. This guy says, no, this is actually the right way. This guy has his ideas. This guy has their ideas. They all have different ideas about who you should be as a husband, who you should be as a father, who you should be as a Christian. And there's not a lot of unity on the bookshelf. And I'm looking at it, man. I'm like, this is crazy. It's one thing to write a book and say, hey, this is what's on my heart. This is something that God's revealed to me, something I'm passionate about. God bless you. Do that by all means. But it's another thing to start setting yourself and your group up as the most righteous and most holy group, the most knowledgeable and the most worthwhile group. And you might not be saying it bold faced, black and right, black and white, right up front. But the undertone to it all is that if you don't believe like we believe. You may not know Jesus Christ. That's a major distraction. That's a major disruption. And it can end up being a major interruption. So with that in mind, I want to read this one more time. And um, I did call the worship team up and I want you guys to stay up here. But we have another video that I want to show you real quickly before we close. If you feel the desire to prove something with your bold stance for Jesus Christ, all you will succeed in proving is that very little of Jesus is present in your Christianity. You know what that means? It's the people that have decided it's not so much about the people we're witnessing to. It's more about who we are in Jesus. 
Like I'm going to stand up here and say what I'm going to say to prove how, how hardcore I am in Jesus Christ. I don't care if it offends you. I don't care if I step on your toes. I am so sold out that you are going to hear what I have to say. And there are, there are people that are going to leave the sound of my voice and go, man, that guy's serious. That guy's sold out for Christ. But all those that didn't know Jesus, they're just going to leave and say, what a jerk. What an arrogant jerk. Because it's become less about those people and more about who we are in Jesus. Because we have gotten so strong in our ability to be Christians that we now have something to prove with our Christianity. And what we end up proving is that we have not very much of Jesus present in our Christianity. We're pouring 64 ounce Cokes on their head. Because we think they look like the devil. As you scream loudly about the need for salvation, your joyless tone offers a stark juxtaposition to Satan's soothing whispers about the freedom of worldly ambitions. In other words, when you take your stance and you break out your bullhorn and you start telling the world about how hot it is in hell and how much they need to repent and how much they need to know God and how lost they are and how ridiculous they are and how gross they are underneath your overtones and your screams. The devil is going, hey, I think you're OK. You're a good person. And this isn't very much fun. The best you can hope for is they'll let you yell at people one day. But I've got more for you. I've got more fun things to do. Just don't kill anybody. Try not to hurt anybody. And check this out. Which one are they going to listen to? It's our loveless tone that undermines our message of love. And makes the promise of lustful indulgence so much more attractive. We've become our own distraction. We've interrupted our own cause. You know, the word distraction actually only appears one time in the Bible. And literally the word in Greek only appears one time in the Bible. And it has very much to do with uh, the marital relationship. So it didn't really make sense to read it to everybody. But it has a root word in the Greek that also only appears once in the entire word of God. And that one time that it appears is in Luke chapter 10. And I'll read through it very quickly, starting verse 38. It came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Martha was cumbered, that's the word distraction in the Greek, about much serving. And came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve here alone? Will you tell her, therefore, that she should come help me out? And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and you are troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. In other words... One lady had sat down to learn at the feet of Jesus. Another lady had already had it all figured out. And they were sisters. And the one sister was all concerned about everything she was doing and about serving, and which is a good thing, and everything she was doing in the church. And she was telling Jesus, don't you see that I'm doing all this on my own? Can, we, can, can you convince some other people? Can you tell them they need to come help me out? And Jesus is saying, they don't need to help you out. 
I've called you to do that thing, and that's good. Do it. Stop worrying about it so much and, and just do it. But your sister over here, she's chosen a good thing. To sit at my feet and learn, I'm not going to take that away from her. That was a distraction. It's the only place that it's used. And it has to do with our servitude in the church. When our goal as Christians has become so much more about what we do than who we are, who he is, and how we lead other people to understand that. Well, they're trying to learn about Jesus and they need to be over here doing this church thing. He's saying, no, it's a distraction. Kind of sad. Kind of sad deal. Over and over again, you hear them use the word judgmental and the one lady said she doesn't like the condemnation of it all. Is that what we've become? As a group of people? Is that what we've become as a church? Is that what we look like? Is that what we feel like to people? It is what we feel like. It might not know us personally. It might not know Edgewater yet. But when they see the word Christian, they see the word church. That's what a lot of them think. And that's why they won't walk through the doors. They didn't come up with that on their own. And, you know, we look at people like that, especially the artist guy. And we might think like, you know, delusional, new agey, has no idea because he's saying he thinks it comes from his heart. You know, it's so funny. The Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. It's not that far off, really. He doesn't know the name Jesus. And so we look at people like that and we hear them say, well, I think it comes from my heart. I think it's within. And we go, You're, you would think I would an idiot. You know, come in. Read, you need to go read your Bible. You need to go pray. And, and God's sitting up in heaven. Jesus sitting up in heaven going, you know, I, I said I was going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. I'm pouring it out and, and some people are feeling it. But they're not coming to me because the people that I put the ministry on to, to bring them to me aren't doing it. So stop looking at my children like they're idiots because they think that there's something spiritual that comes from within their heart. There is. They just don't know my name because I wrote my name on you because you call yourself Christian. And so that's how they come to know my name. And all they feel from you is judgment. All they feel from you is condemnation. And that's not what I've called you to do. But somewhere along the way, you got distracted, my people. And you allowed it to become more than a disruption. It became an interruption. And instead of you being made in the image of God, you've changed God into your image. And now you're sharing with people the God that you've kind of made up. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, as Jose shared with us this morning, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. I want to tell you what that means because it's, it's a confusing scripture. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And when you study that word out, what it's saying is that the passionate take it by force. See, we hear the word violence and we think of like guns and we think of fights and we think of things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, my people need to be passionate. The kingdom of heaven suffers day in and day out with attacks by people that are passionate against it. And we're not going to reclaim it if we're not equally passionate about reclaiming it. Yeah. 
I want you to walk into my church and I want you to raise your hands because that's violent. I want you to rush down to the altar and show some violence about your worship. I want you to speak in tongues. I want you to cast out devils. I want you to lay hands on the sick. I don't care how weird that sounds. It's time for my people to become violent about my kingdom. It's time for some passion to reignite those that are called Christians that carry my name. Because when you lose your passion, your your distraction becomes the path of judgment. You can no longer tell people how Jesus Christ is going to reach a bloody nail scarred hand down into the pit of their disillusionment and pull them up because you've lost the ability to say it because you're not passionate enough to say it. So all you can tell them is that their alcohol is going to send them to hell and that didn't help anybody. All you can tell them is their lifestyle is going to cause them to burn and you think they're going to go, oh my God, well, I better come do what you're doing. You just threatened me with hellfire. I think I want to be your friend. How many people are going to turn to God? Do you think I want to stand up here and yell and scream? I know I look foolish to some people. I can't help it. I know him. I serve him. I'm passionate about who he is. I am the guy that would have made fun of me a few years ago. When I was in high school and I was in college, I would have made fun of the guy standing up here doing this. I understand it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I don't care. It was a little embarrassing when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and I began to speak in tongues because I'd never done that before. I couldn't explain it, but I liked it. It can be a little cumbersome to lay hands on somebody because I'm a person just like you and start saying, I take authority in Jesus name. I cast out devils and I know that sounds crazy. It's violent. That's why it causes you to go, I don't know, because it's violent, it's uncomfortable, but it's passionate. We could just all sit in our seats and sing Kumbaya and have a real nice little community brotherhood of country club Christianity and never really change a soul, but we'll all be comfortable. But God's saying, well, that's fine, but the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. And you've been distracted. And you've gotten distracted and you've allowed the disruption to interrupt your walk. You've lost your passion and now all you can do is judge people. And that video is the result. So I want to challenge you today. Forget about what looks cool and what feels right. Forget about all the books at Barnes and Noble telling you the only way to do it. Get into the word of God and get violent and passionate about your faith. Get rid of the distractions, overcome the disruptions, kick the interruptions out of the room. Get with your husband, get with your wife, get with your loved ones, get alone with God on your own. Get in your prayer closet, seek his face, start over if you have to. But start now. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the passionate will take it by force. Don't let distractions steal your purpose.